Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. David Eichholz, Sean Box, Swarmcast, 24-7 Sports, HawkeyeInsider.com. Sean, it's been a very, very busy week. Very busy day yesterday, especially with Iowa with a decisive victory over Iowa State, 75-56. to even without Chris Murray, which is the craziest part about, you know, the entire thing, Iowa had some prime football visitors in as well. But let's start on the basketball side of things. You know, we'd heard rumblings about Chris Murray. You know, you and I kind of hinted that it didn't sound good um, in terms of him playing on Thursday. He was in a walking boot on a short turnaround likely means he didn't practice yesterday. So for me, it was a tough sell that he was going to play, but for Iowa to go out there and do what they did to get Fran McCaffrey's 500th win, a lot to take away. Didn't allow a field goal for the first six minutes. Philip Abracha continues to really impress me with the strides that he's made, but Sean, where do we even start? Honestly, it was just a crazy, crazy game. Yeah, it's, it was very, I mean, in the first couple minutes, you kind of thought to yourself, okay, this makes sense a little bit because with the way Iowa was scoring, I I mean, looking back on that Duke game too, when I rewatched it, I thought to myself, okay, like these shots aren't falling. These are shots that Iowa usually hits. It's just a matter of like they're not going in. They were good shots. I believe the shot quality during that game was really high. But they were just shots that weren't going in. And it was the same case with some of the other games that they played. Like even Georgia Tech against Georgia Tech, they were 9 of 26 from three. And then the last couple, they were – so the last four games heading into last night, uh, Iowa was 19 of 78 from three. Yeah. Which comes out to 24%. And I didn't think they were shooting bad shots. There were a couple of contested threes in previous games where I was kind of like, okay, like maybe that's not the best – attempt but yeah i mean just to see the shots go down like it's crazy i know it's a cliche and it sounds dumb and obvious but it's amazing how different this team can play when the shots are falling especially from three that makes all the difference in the world and even without chris murray too that makes that is a huge difference and i think you have to give credit to iowa this was one of those games that they needed to shoot well because yep. I thought Iowa State's defense – I mean, I think that run at the beginning of the game kind of flustered Iowa State, and Iowa State is so limited offensively 
like we saw last night, you know, they should have knocked down a couple more threes. I think, I think Gabe Kalsher is a better shooter than, you know, he's, he showed last night, same thing with Caleb Grill, but they're very streaky. So that's what makes them really limited offensively. And I thought Iowa had a really good game plan in place too, to really stifle them. But yeah, I mean, you got to tip your hat to Iowa. I think if, if the shots were falling, this was going to be their game, but the last four games didn't really give me that vibe that that was going to happen, but they proved me wrong last night and, you know, did a fantastic job offensively and knocking down shots and really spacing the floor, which led to that win. What impressed me, you know, even in the post game, talking to Phillip and, and Connor, Sean, they were very open about, we were so pissed off after last year. And if you remember last year, Iowa State did not necessarily shoot well, but they crashed the offensive glass. They had like 24 offensive rebounds, second chance points, dunks. They were turning the ball over. I mean, turning Iowa over, turning it into points. Like that's how they really flustered Iowa last year. And Keegan was nowhere near 100%. Now he wouldn't have been made a huge difference in the game just given the way it was going. But that's still worth noting. So Iowa stayed the heck out of that film yesterday and basically wanted to do what they did to them except double it and that's what connor said and you know iowa allowed one field goal i think the first six minutes i think iowa stayed what four points in the first 11 minutes but this is the stat that really opened my eyes to how good iowa was yesterday especially in that first half defensively connor talked about when i asked him about just the defense and what kind of a tribute to it was communication etc but, you know, Connor said it was imposing their will, but then he brought up this. He said there was like four minutes left in the first half. They had, I think he said they had 14 points, 12 or 14 points, but he said they had six points off turn, uh, six second chance points, six points off turnovers of those 14. What's that tell you? Iowa State had one basket in the first 16 minutes of the game, where it was the half-court offense and the ball just ended up going in the hoop on the first shot. That is an incredible defensive performance by Iowa. Look, like you said, I think Iowa State got better shots in the second half, but Iowa, over, like holding them to 0 for 10, I really thought Iowa just closed out so much quicker than they had over the course of the season. And, you know, again, I'll go back to, I think Iowa really thrived off turning their defense into offense. And I think the crowd played a huge factor as well. TJ Otzelberger said post game that his team wasn't ready for that environment. That was their first true road game of the season, not the neutral site, but just the road game. And it was a legitimate basketball crowd last night. And I know, you know, Connor got some flack, what, two weeks ago about the tweet that he sent out about how bad the crowd was that night against Omaha. But this is why he said something like that, because you look at what happened Last night, the crowd did make an impact, and I think you could see it just in the energy that Iowa came out with right away despite a short turnaround, despite their best player, future NBA player Chris Murray being injured. Like, it was a very – like, Iowa came out. They didn't just land the opening punch, Sean. They landed the opening combo. I mean, they absolutely throttled Iowa State through the first 18 minutes and never put their foot off the gas, which was just as encouraging to me. Right, and it seemed like a complete 180 180- – from that Duke game. I mean, Iowa came out a little bit more fired up in that Duke game, but there just seemed to be a lag. And yes, I mean, there was a little bit of a scoring drought that they have. I think they didn't score from like the nine minute to like the five minute mark in the second half. And there were a couple of turnovers and 
that's something that you have. That was probably one of the bad, the takeaway or one of the poor takeaways along with the turnovers in the second half. And yep. obviously Chris Murray status seems like the expectation is that he'll miss a couple of games, but those scoring drops, man, like they've had a couple of those throughout the season and that those have been a little concerning, but just bringing it the whole game and, but they really put their foot on the gas in that first half. And I don't know if it was Connor McCaffrey in the starting lineup. Obviously, Phil Verbracha gives them a different – yeah, I think this was a matchup that I was a little concerned about with him. I know Osini Os, Os, I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> the uh, big man for Iowa State, the starter, uh, he is really long. And that could give – but he's also prone to fouls. And I believe he had four fouls in 10 minutes of action yesterday. Yeah. And I thought Phillip did a really good job of attacking him. And so did other guys too, because I know that he can, uh, he's capable of, you know, committing fouls and not being as disciplined. And I think Iowa did a good job of attacking that. And I think with Robert Jones, yes, he's a bigger body. Yes. You know, that might get, he had a pretty solid night, 11 points and 10 rebounds, but I thought Phillip outplayed him and obviously outplayed the other guy too. Um, so that that was a really encouraging performance that I saw. I think Philip. A lot of people say that matchup is going to be an issue with the size and the height, and you know the athleticism with some of these guys and the length that he's going up against. And I think that's going to apply in a couple other games this year too. But you got to remember, he's a six. He's a six year guy, if I'm not mistaken. He or he's sorry, he's a fifth year guy. I keep thinking he's a six year guy. It's so hard to keep him in track with COVID and the transfer portal and everything. It really is at this right. point. Kemp Palm lists him as a as a uh as a fifth year guy, but it also says he has two sophomore years. I think that probably applies with the COVID stuff. Sure. But he's a fifth year guy, and that experience is really valuable. I mean, having that extra year in the Big Ten too, I think is really, really key for him. I mean, look at these, look at these numbers. I mean, he's playing more minutes this year, his offensive ratings up. His field goal efficiency is up. His rebounding numbers are up. His block percentage is up. And he's also drawing 5.2 fouls for 40 minutes. Last year it was 2.9 fouls for 40 minutes. His, I mean, he's ranked higher uh, field goal per, or two point percentage last year, but he has a higher percentage this year. And also, if he can hit three, I'm not, I mean, Fran said he's not going to not let him shoot the three, but if he can hit the three, like, that that's a recipe for success right there. And I think he's the type of big man that would fit better with this team with being more athletic and being more versatile than maybe some of the other guys in the past. Pick and pop will be key for him. If he can really develop that consistency and Sean, he made one three in his first 44 games, the Hawkeye went two for two from three last night, but credit to and Philip said too, he said, you know, there just hasn't been that many opportunities for me to shoot threes because if he's not in the paint, probably only getting one shot. That, that's the reality with, especially the starting lineup without Chris in there, that's going to be the reality. But I, I asked TJ Otzelberger about Philip last night, about how he kind of just beat Iowa state, despite Iowa state throwing different guys on him. And the thing that really stuck out to me, what he said was with Philip, it was a lot of effort based plays that led to his increased confidence. And I thought that was, that resonated with me because I said, you know, you think back at some of the hard plays that he had, the emotion he had after a couple of big and ones, and you think about the course of his career, especially this season, 
that made a lot of sense to me. When he dives on the ground, when he gets an offensive board and a putback, like he plays better. He is more confident at that point. So I think that was huge. And something that I think is going to be an interesting storyline going into Wisconsin, it's, you know, people might kind of brush this off. I've never seen a player happier to make a three up 25 than Peyton Sanford last night. All right, dude, shut up. Movie. I tweeted that. I tweeted that. You no, can't you steal my tweet. You There's you gotta, three you people that tweeted the same thing. Chad Lysico mm. tweeted the same exact thing, and he actually tweeted it before you too. No way. Yeah. I'm going I'm to double no. check it, but I'm 90% sure he did. Kenny, I think, said something too. But aside the point, when he was high-fiving people, he missed 23 of his previous 25 shots from three, and that's something that he's never going to do in his career again. But for him to knock that down, if Chris can't go, you need Peyton Sanford to be able to stretch the floor. Right. Oh, yeah, 100%. And seeing Connor McCaffrey hit the 3-2, that's a godsend for this Iowa team. That is that is vital. And Peyton, Peyton they need Peyton moving forward to hit shots. Because um, he's the type of guy that, you know, when no one else is hitting, he's the guy that you can go – four shots and get looks with and you know he you need him as a knockdown shooter because if he's on the floor and he's hitting and he can hit then that just spaces up and opens up everything for the rest of your team but when he's not you got to put him he's a good defender he's definitely improved I think there's still I think he's still a little bit of a liability at times defensively um just because he's not as quick as some of the others but when he's hitting shots, like you can't take him off the floor. And that is really, that is a really valuable thing. And people found that out last night too. I know it was kind of a committee committee uh, thing last night with the guys hitting threes and whatnot. But when you have one guy that can hit threes and really stroke it, then, you know, you're in good shape. And if Sanford can do that, and if he can space the floor, then he's going to play more. And that really opens things up for this Iowa team. And again, I know Peyton hasn't shot well, but you have to give him credit. He does not lack effort out there. He's passing the ball well for the most part. He's giving effort on the glass. And he gives effort on defense. Like, he might not be a good defender, but you always take effort. If you can put effort on the floor, that still is merit in my book. And I think that's merit in Frank McCaffrey's book. But Connor McCaffrey, since January 31st, Sean, is 29 of 60 from three-point range. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. That is great. That's, you know, that's even better than what Iowa needs. And for him to have a sense of fearlessness, to be able to pull up on those, I think that's a good thing for the Iowa offense. And on top of that, there's a confidence with him 
about it. And he just, he, he's on just a different level right now. And I think he's playing the most confident basketball of his career. And I think I was going to need him to continue doing that going forward. I thought he played outstanding last night and three of his misses last night were in and out. I mean, there were a couple of them that I thought were about to hit the bottom of the net. They just somehow rolled out, but big win for Iowa, but this is going to be a very big test against Wisconsin as well on Sunday. So we'll have to dive into that. But, you know, aside from the basketball point of view, Sean, uh, you know, we reported, you reported yesterday that Iowa was hosting linebacker Ernest Hausman on a visit. He was shadowing Jay Higgins and not a bad day for him to be on campus. It was a good atmosphere in Carver Hawkeye, Jack Campbell winning the Buckus Award for nation's top linebacker. This is a heavy hitter with a lot of talent, but uh, we kind of heard whisperings about it, but it's hard to get confirmation because Ernest keeps his camp pretty quiet. But I'm very intrigued of how much traction Iowa can get with him, especially after losing Jacobs to the portal. But I, again, you got to tip your cap to Kirk, Tyler Barnes, and Iowa right now because they are addressing the needs, and Ernest is going to be a big, big-time player in the future. Yeah, he would definitely be a massive massive get. I mean, he could play multiple linebacker spots. I think he could really coexist with Jay Higgins, you know, either at inside or weak side or middle. Um, and then obviously there's the Leo position. I'm interested to see who takes over that spot or if Iowa decides to go more cash next year. Um, but yeah, no, having Hausman on campus at the, that's a, that's a big time. I'm not sure exactly what time he got there, but I mean, having the Buckus Award there is probably something that they should Iowa showed him, and that's a really good timing for that for that to be on campus. And getting him there is important because Michigan's coming in, um, Minnesota's involved, Ohio State sounds like they're involved. You know, there's probably going to be more SEC schools that get involved depending yep. on how long this process goes. Yep, seems like Iowa feels like it's in a good shot. Getting them on campus is huge. He grew up a big, I mean, he was adopted, I believe, at the age of five um, and grew up in a big Nebraska family. But I remember talking to him during the recruiting process, and he would tell me that he's always been really familiar for, with Iowa. He really likes Iowa's system and how he could potentially fit in that system. But obviously, the Nebraska ties ended up winning out. So, yeah, that's definitely me one to track. Be interested to see who else gets him on campus. Sounds like Minnesota's in a good place to get him on campus, but Definitely a good day to have them in Iowa City if you're Iowa. And just to kind of expand on that, Ernest is from Columbus High School, which is which is why I went to high school. I have family that still live in Columbus, so I kind of hear the whisperings behind the scenes. And, you know, Ernest is a guy, as you know, Sean, he keeps everything very, very tight-lipped. He has not let a lot of information get out. He just doesn't want that spotlight. But the one thing that's been consistent with them and the consistent message I'm hearing behind the scenes, he is a big, big big relationships person this is not a, a case where he's looking to get a bunch of money from through nil to go transfer somewhere this is a guy that wants to play for a position coach wants to play for a defense coordinator that he is familiar with that he has a good relationship with and his other top priority is to get to the nfl so i think Iowa is going to be seeing in a good spot after this but just people know this is not a case of nil or or anything like that but couple other targets were in town and, you know, I think Cade McNamara, Eric all obviously headlined it, but Cade McNamara, I think really, really kind of embraced being QB one and, and Carver. I was there last night. People were trying to get pictures of them, talk to him. And of course he was a good sport about it. A lot of pictures surfaced. And with about two minutes left, he left the court and he gave a double wave to the crowd and tried to pump up the crowd. And 
And I think once fans kind of realized who that was walking toward the tunnel, because they were kind of parading him around a little bit, right? I mean, the crowd went yeah. nuts. So I think it was a very good atmosphere. If you have Eric all, if you have your future quarterback on campus, I mean, again, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think Iowa obviously is going to be a very tough place for Eric all to turn down right now. And, you know, I don't want to say he's going to commit by the end of the weekend. He still could take a visit next week, but I think Iowa was certainly putting the full court press and he got along well with Sam Laporta yesterday. I mean, those two were chatting and laughing all game together. Yeah, Sam's pretty easy to get along with, too. So that probably – he's a really good host. I mean, he was the host for Steven Stilianos last year. Um, during his official visit, Luke Lachey is probably going to get involved a little bit, too. But, yeah, I mean, if you're Iowa, I think you're feeling pretty good about Eric Hall right now. I know there was a Cincinnati Inquirer report that stated that Notre Dame and Washington were maybe going to be potential spots, but we'll see if that happens. I'm not too optimistic that those visits happen, but we'll see. So keep it locked in the Hawkeye Insider for that. But, Sean, I know I, I asked for some people to throw in some questions, and there was one consistent uh, question I got, which you and I can kind of talk about, and it's basically, are there any players in the portal that could come back to Iowa? And I know there's some talk about Justin Jacobs coming back. I don't see a scenario where he comes back. I don't think Terry Roberts comes back. I, I think Terry's going to end up at Penn State. There's been some buzz about Keegan. I I don't see that either, but maybe you've heard differently. Maybe you and I haven't talked behind the scenes, but are you kind of in that same camp that I am that Iowa's – I don't want to say they've closed the door on all the guys, but I don't think they're spending much time re-recruiting them. Yeah, I mean, the Keegan-Johnson one would make sense to try and re-recruit them, especially with Kate on board, but I'm not sure if there's going to be anything with that. Um Justin Jacobs would obviously make sense to try and recruit him back, but I think with Ernest Hausman coming on campus, I mean, you got to get someone on campus anyway um, and pursue other guys with him gone. But I think they kind of they want to get Hausman. I mean, obviously they'd love Jacobs back, but Hausman would be a pretty big add. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting because I think, yeah, I don't know. That's that's a good question. I haven't really heard too much about guys that might be coming back i know i mean if you're iowa i'm sure you try to recruit terry roberts and um i mean they have harvard grad transfer uh alex washington coming on campus next weekend so they're trying to fill that cornerback spot that terry roberts left um so they're trying to fill these spots pretty quickly but yeah i'm not sure if they'll they'll be able to get any of these guys back be interesting to monitor like I said, maybe they hold an initial discussion or two with a couple of the guys that they kind of want to re-recruit back. But I just I can't see Iowa with their, the way the program's structured. And, yeah, I know they're attacking the portal more aggressively. There's no question about that. Iowa values loyalty in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying they betrayed that loyalty. Players have a right to do whatever they want. I'm not saying that. But I'm trying to speak from a, a coaching staff perspective and what we've seen over the years. I just don't see a scenario that Iowa spends a lot of time re-recruiting these guys. Um, somebody else asked, like, can you explain the defensive guys why they would enter the portal? Is there no loyalty to Coach Parker? Is it a cash grab? I mean, maybe you're in the same boat as me, but Justin struggling with injuries, Terry maybe wanting to get closer to home. I mean, he got that Penn State offer pretty quickly, Sean. I mean, he's from Erie, Pennsylvania, and there was no lock that he was even going to start next year. I, I would have bet for him to start, but it was no lock that he was going to start next year. 
Justin Jacobs, I think, would have been the face of Iowa's defense, maybe besides Lucas Van Ness. If Lucas Van Ness decides to return, we'll get into that in a minute. But for Justin, maybe he just wants a fresh start. I mean, this is a guy that probably could get some money on the NIL scheme, too. I don't think that that's out of the question, given his ceiling and his talent level. But I don't see it as a loyalty thing. I think it's a combination of closer to home. They want a fresh start, and maybe they can make some extra money through NIL, especially, you know, Justin. I think Terry would have maybe had a case, but I don't think the money is the the top thing on his mind. And the reality is for Iowa, you're going to trust Phil Parker with basically whoever they throw in at any position. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think it's too too big of concern. I mean, losing Justin, Terry sucks, but, I mean, hey, you're going to have guys that are coming up and – Guys are going to be ready to compete. How much say or influence will Cade McNamara have in changing the offensive philosophy? I think that's a very interesting question because you can't give him full reign. But let's not act like Cade McNamara is only coming here to get some NIL money and to run Iowa's current offensive scheme. I mean, he's probably looking at, you know, Kirk, Brian, or anything like that and saying, hey, this is what we here's what I think we should be changing. This is how we can utilize my strengths while sticking true to Iowa football. That that's the way I look at it, at least. Right. And I think his uh Kate's interview with Kyle Allen and Jordan Palmer the other day on the room um was a really good sign of maybe what's to come. Obviously, you want to see it put to fruition, but Kate said straight up, like Iowa's told me they're not trying to stay this way. Like they know they need to make changes for them to be successful. And to hear that come out of his mouth and the confidence that it came out of, and I think Iowa realizes too that they can do some of these different things with Cade that maybe they wouldn't have been able to do with Spencer or you know, other guys coming up. I think Cade is that full package of what Iowa wants to have in the quarterback room from a guy that can make plays on the run, um, you know, set his feet, make a throw. I mean, he said on the podcast too that Iowa wants to take more shots downfield. I thought that was a really interesting comment. Yeah, I was going to say, he said, air it out. And, the, you know, maybe it's maybe I'm overreading it. There was a sense of, like, I'm going to go show everybody what I can do. Like, there was some venom in the way he was talking when he was saying, like, please say we're going to be the worst offense in college football. Please say we're going to be bad next year. Please. Like, there's something that you can just tell. Like, there's something about it that you can see is just going to drive him. And I think when you're Iowa, when you're coming off that bad offensive season, you want your leader, you want your quarterback to kind of have that attitude because you're going to be, you know, you just, it seems like he's built to kind of do what he's about, you know, hoping to do. So it'll be really interesting to follow there. Another common question was about obviously the coaching staff, right? I mean, when are they going to make the coaching changes? Are they going to make coaching changes, et cetera? Maybe you can add something to this, Sean, but I'm only going to say what Kirk has said. He's going to evaluate everything after the bowl game. It could bite them in the butt maybe because coaching moves are happening. But from Kirk's standpoint, if there's no plan in place, if you're going to fire somebody just to fire somebody, what are you accomplishing? And I think people are looking at, well, Brian's going here. Copeland's going here. Barnett's going here. Because obviously there's a lot of question marks about the staff, right? And my message to fans has been consistent. What do you want them to do? They are still employed. They still hold the position. They're not just going to stop doing their job because there's rumors floating around about them maybe not coming back next year. Until they are terminated, 
or they choose to move on, they're going to continue to represent the University of Iowa and put full effort into recruiting and everything behind the scenes. Because again, what do you want them to do? So I anticipate we'll know in January if Iowa is going to make some changes. Yep. No, I agree with you 100%. And I mean, Kirk was on the road with Brian. Um, He was on the road with George Barnett. Um, I believe he's probably making a couple stops with Calvin Copeland too. So still an evaluation process. I mean, nothing, nothing's going to be decided till after the season. I know that for sure. I mean, obviously rumors are going around with, you know, offensive coordinator, and that's probably the one that might have the most, you know, to it, but who knows at this point, maybe there won't be any changes, but we'll see. I mean, you know, I, again, a lot of people are saying, is Brian going to come back? I still lean no, but it's not a done deal, in my opinion. I, I think that there's going to be some major evaluation. I think there's going to be some major changes either way. But, And I'm not saying that it's this has been the case, or I'm not saying it wasn't the case, but I thought this year was the put-up-or-shut-up year for Brian, and I, I stand by that. But if he returns next year and they do the same thing, I mean, there's nothing more you can really say. The writing is going to be on the wall at that point. And I think it's already on the wall, but we'll see what happens there. Um, there's another, oh, Lucas Van Ness. Lucas Van Ness is again. Last quick question, Sean. Lucas Van Ness has been praised by McShay, Kuyper. I mean, all these NFL draft guys. I'm hearing him for a potential first round pick. And we know that we talked to Lucas Van Ness three weeks ago and he said i haven't thought about it. i love this place i want to come back next year but when you hear stuff like that from kuiper you hear stuff like that from mcshay it's a lot of money that's a lot of money sean what are you kind of thinking about lucas van ness returning next year what what's the odds on that i'd lean him coming back just because i think it might be a tyler linderbaum effect too um to the point of I love this place. I grew up around this place. I mean, I know Lucas is both of his parents went to Iowa state, but his family's from the state of Iowa. That was the offer that he wanted coming out of high school was the Hawkeyes. So I think he's going to give it one more year. If I had to predict right now, um, just cause like I said, I feel like he's the type of Tyler Linderbaum type of kid where you're going to have to like push him to leave. Like they had to do a Tyler Linderbaum. Um, cause Linderbaum wanted to come back next year. That's, that's the word on the street was that he wanted to come back yeah. next year. But the coaching staff is kind of like, dude, like, you know, your best, your best option is to go to the NFL. Like, what if you get hurt like you did in the uh, Citrus Bowl last year? Well, if that happens and, you know, you're going to lose millions of dollars. So, yep, I think Van Ness, he's got – I think this year he'll he'll stick around. I mean, he's got, he's got a COVID year too, and I believe he has another year of eligibility after that. So – I think next year is a year that he could potentially make that jump. I'm not sure if it's going to be this year yet. I mean, TJ Hawkinson wanted to return too. And if I was Kirk Ferentz, I rip up the scholarship and say, go get money. I mean, that that's the reality of the situation. But for Van Ness, this is a guy, Sean, that could mid first round, he could slip to second, third. Just it all depends on the testing, what NFL teams seen him. There's no character issues or anything like that. But like NFL teams are so weird about it. But I looked this up this morning when I saw this question. If Van Ness comes back next year and has an All-American caliber year, which I would vote in preseason All-American next season, I think he's if he comes back, he's going to be an absolute unit on the edge. 
it's from the end of the first round, early second round to a top 15, top 10 pick, Sean, that's about $15 million more. So it's a chance, but that's a whole lot of money on the front end of your career. If you get a top 10 or top 15 evaluation rather than a round two evaluation. So if I'm Lucas Van Ness, and he's still very raw on the defensive line. Like that's what people like. I think he realizes that too. NFL teams know that it's all off potential. But if Van Ness wants to go to the NFL, make more of a year one impact whenever he goes to the league. I think it is his best bet in terms of from a production in the NFL standpoint to come back for one more season. And if he balls out, goes top 15, top 10, you can afford, afford a nice little beach house somewhere with that extra signing bonus, right? So it, I kind of lean that way too, but uh, no, Sean, it's going to be very interesting to follow Iowa. I mean, this, this week has been absolutely bonkers. I know you can attest to that too. I mean, this has been one of the crazier weeks, I think on the beat, just with the portal opening and what I was trying to do, but you know, uh, Hawkeye Insider 50% off annual subscription. Be sure to check that out. Be sure to follow Sean. I on Twitter at David Eichel at SBOC two, four, seven at Hawkeyes on two, four, seven, and we'll be sure to keep you updated on everything that's going on because with a bowl game, with with basketball, with signing day coming up in under two weeks, content, content, content. So be sure to stay tuned for that, and we'll talk to you soon. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.